Welcome to the Companion Briefing Podcast. This week, commencing June 1st, we're going to discuss the upcoming Loki series, talk about some of the content you might have missed on the Companion, as well as tease what we've got coming this week and much more. I'm your host, Tommy Terry Green, and I'm joined, as always, by our editor, James Hoare. Hi, James. Happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month, Tommy. I, I trust that we'll be we'll be spending it as all good cis white men should spend it by quietly not opining on it, but instead boosting queer voices. So it's been a bit of a slow news week, apart from the giant news that came out of last week that Amazon is in talks to acquire MGM, um, which could mean a bunch of things. Uh, In fact, so many things that it's probably too many to talk about in a normal companion briefing episode. So we're actually going to release a special episode talking just about that, what it could mean, how things could look, and you can expect all of that later in the week. Yeah, it's it's very much the opposite problem from a slow news week where we have to kind of, you know, really dig deep for things to talk about. It's almost a too much news week because, you know, quite obviously this could be massive for Stargate. So we want to make sure we bring you something of authority, something of substance, something that, you know, reflects the reality of what could actually happen here because you're going to read a lot of nonsense on the internet and i plan on writing most of it so you've got that to look forward to and i think as well a lot of the news that's out there is talking about the handmaid's tale or vikings or james bond but not a lot of people talking about stargate so let's i think we're going to really dive into it from a, a stargate perspective and kind of figure out what that means for that franchise that we like with the big circle that people walk through so what we're going to talk about instead in this segment is uh, Loki, because we're actually going to do a bunch of Loki content, aren't we, James? So we thought we'd talk about how excited we are for not only that, our content, but the show itself. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, polled you, our valued and trusted members, to see what new and kind of forthcoming series you're excited about, just as excited as you are about the likes of Stargate and Farscape and classic Trek. And the MCU scored extremely highly, which you, you'd expect really, because it's a it's a cultural phenomenon. But it's really cool to see that it shares so much DNA with, you know, those of us who remember a time when comic books weren't, you know, massive. And, you know, these properties were were quite insular and marginalized so you know it's it's good to see that crossover still there so we're going to be hitting you with two loki pieces this week to get you pumped for the series dropping on disney plus at what date tommy the ninth the ninth the man says the ninth so you know where you're going to be for the ninth because the man has said um so this week we will have a kind of a recap talking about the MCU, what it meant for Loki, how it built Loki up into this geek icon. And then... He became such a fan favorite, didn't he? So like right out the gate. Oh yeah, absolutely. The, the two um, things everyone was talking about after the first Thor film was firstly uh, Chris Hemsworth blonde eyebrows. And secondly, it was Loki. 
uh, as a close second. Yeah, absolutely. And I think really for that first Thor film, you know, obviously it was directed by Kenneth Branagh. He's best known for his work on both sides of the camera when it comes to, to Shakespeare. But the character in that film that was a Shakespearean character was Loki. It wasn't Thor. Thor, Thor was just a kind of, just a bro but it's Loki that has the arc. It's Loki that finds out about his heritage. It's Loki that gives us the full Macbeth in that film. And it's really easy to see why the fans rallied around him because he's the geek. He's the outsider. He's the, the, the thinker. I mean, honestly, how many comic book fans look at that kind of muscular, blonde-haired beefcake with the hammer and think, yeah, that's that's me. That represents my experience. Yeah, interestingly, the comic book would have more so represented that with the whole, is it Donald Blake, who uh, was like the doctor that transformed into Thor and he was just kind of like a average kind of looking guy that when he wielded the hammer became Thor, but they kind of did away with that and just made him... Like you say, a bro, <laughs> yeah, just, a very, very funny bro. I should add, yeah, like he's yeah. a he's, he's a terrific character. And as yeah, the films no, and the MCU's gone on, they've really found the sweet spot for how to make that character work. But Loki from the get go is instantly beloved. Yeah, I mean, the comic book Thor is one of those classic Stanley Jack Kirby creations, the flawed human that becomes the the superhuman. But yeah, you, know, you say the film did away with that, and it, it turned Thor into into the straight man, really. And it's interesting parallels with uh, Drax in Guardians because Drax is basically, he plays the Thor role for that team. The kind of the the ultra straight man to everyone else's jokes. And I, I think maybe the influence of Guardians that helped steer Thor into being a character that was just a lot more fun to have on screen, a lot more fun to be around. What other Loki content do we have coming? We, we have two articles next week, right? So there's the one that you just described and then we also have... So we've got an article coming this weekend about Loki's newfound frenemies, the uh, Time Variance Authority, the very much the time cops of the series. And Ben Falk, who, you know, not a week goes by on The Companion where I don't wind up praising a piece of writing from Ben Falk, um, he'll be looking at the kind of the implications of that and comparing it to the implications of time travel within the uh, Stargate universe. We do have some more Stargate content coming this week as well um, in the shape of a full audio interview with John Gadeski. So early companion adopters or those that have scrolled back through may have seen some interviews with the Stargate SG-1 VFX artist. I think he did some work on Atlantis as well. He did. Um, John Gadeski. So we've got the full two-hour interview that all that content's been pulled from, and you'll be able to hear most of it. I don't think it'll be a full two hours. I think there'll be some some fat to trim. I mean, this is really ingenious stuff. The guy comes in at the the launch of the show. I think he's only really there for the first season of SG One and the first few episodes of Atlantis, and he's all about the challenges and he's all about setting the tone, trying to recreate what until that point had been done on like a full bore kind of Hollywood budget, but doing that in a forest in British Columbia. The, the guys that are working in VFX of that generation were the real problem solvers. They were really trying to kind of bridge that gap between emerging CGI and practical effects. And then just these real old as the hills bits of kind of two-dimensional camera trickery 
Um, and so there's a great mix of that. And I absolutely love that. I think that for me, the, the nineties are really, especially nineties TV, a bit of a, a golden age for inventive VFX. Yeah. And I think one of the coolest things that came from the chat with John was the unseen images that he revealed to us, which I mean, they've been seen now, but <laughs> we're n- not by everyone. So for, for new companion members, we're going to bump that old uh, article up to the top with some of the uh, great images that he shared with us from, he just had him laying around on a hard drive in his office and he was like, oh, would anyone be interested in seeing these? And it was, you know, yes, everyone would <laughs> please share them. So we've got some cool behind the scenes images of, you know, things like pyramids just being rolled around a car park and <laughs> giant bags of meat being blown up. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. They are, they obviously had a ton of fun making that show. And I, I think that's, that's clear to the viewer as well. So what content on the companion uh, might people have missed last week, James? We had uh, a pretty big release. Last week was our big Ben Browder sesh. We dropped the uh, second episode of Brad Wright's Conversations in Sci-Fi, where he was catching up with the the Cameron Mitchell star. And it was absolutely hilarious. Like Ben is such a great raconteur, told some amazing stories, especially from the, the making of Continuum in the Arctic, which just sounded as trippy as heck. Um, we also had a piece of written content, which I thought was quite well-timed because there was a little bit of burbling from the, the anti-Mitchell brigade, who I think, to be honest, just missed O'Neill at that point. But, you know, RDA was was done with the show and that wasn't the fault of either Ben Browder or the character of Cameron Mitchell. But we published a nice little corrective over the weekend by a new companion writer, uh, Timothy Weir, which was really looking at how the character of Cameron Mitchell helped to push Stargate SG-1 forward at that point when things had become really established, like after eight seasons, we all knew what to expect. And it was thanks to that new character that it was you know, kept fresh for another two seasons and a couple of movies. And also a week today, it feels like longer because we had a a long weekend here in the UK. Um, We released Stargate, How Death Knell Made Sam Carter Real, written by myself. Um, This was another one of those articles that was inspired by a moment voted for by fans, inspiring Sam Carter moments. And it was really interesting watching that back because, you know, purely for production reasons, Amanda Tapping is, is hardly in the episode and she really doesn't have much to say. But in that empty space where she should be, quite a lot of story is told about, you know, who she is and what she's capable of. So it's really a fantastic piece of storytelling and fantastic piece of acting that, really uses the the um, necessity of her not being available, maybe Amanda not having the kind of the mental space for that many lines at that point, but uses that to, to do something really fantastic and tell an incredible story. So if you missed that, swing on over to the companion.app and check out the Stargate feed. It's waiting for you. 
So there's a, there's a lot of examples of us listening to your feedback and taking it on board and creating content around it. And just the same with the briefing. If you have any questions about the companion content or, or anything else, uh, send them through to Tommy at the companion.app and we will adjust accordingly. You still have stubbornly refused to get in touch. Um, I'm trying not to take it personally. I can only assume you think it's some sort of trap. I promise you it isn't. But that's exactly the sort of thing someone who had such a trap would say. So. <laughs> You're just going to have to risk it. All right. Well, that's the episode for this week. Um, stay tuned for the special edition MGM acquisition episode coming soon. But otherwise, I'll see you next week. Take care, guys. Bye.